sometimes following God it makes you sad in the beginning because it's difficult but it's hard happiness and joy is a byproduct of living for something that's greater than yourself as you pursue God ultimately you will be the most joyful person on earth it's not always easy time to connect with Dr. Mark Joe on Moody Presents welcome I'm John Kager, excited that you're here for a brand new series based on the book of James. Think of it as the Believer's Guide for Living. Our teacher, Pastor Mark Job, is president of the Moody Bible Institute and founding pastor of New Life Community Church. You know, few evils are more difficult to overcome than temptation, right? (laughs) We tend to blame other people for our temptations. Hey, we're even willing to blame God, suggesting that maybe He tempted us. So what exactly does the Bible have to say about the temptation trap? Here's our teacher, Pastor Mark Job, on today's Moody Presents. I want you to take your Bibles today and turn to James chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 18 of James chapter 1. I'm talking about the temptation trap. You know, we all face temptations of many kinds in many ways. And we have a tendency to blame it on others. It's a lot easier when we fall into temptation to say it was someone else's fault. How about it? I heard of a a couple that the husband was really trying to crack down on the budget of the household. He felt like his wife was spending way too much money. And so he told her, honey, we are on a strict budget, so do not spend anything too expensive. You'll have to let me know about it. Just please let me know about it. And um, so she came back from shopping and she was so excited. How many of you get excited when you come back from shopping? Those bags full. And she was so excited and um, she said, you wait to see what I got. And he wasn't that excited to see what she got, but she put on this beautiful dress, red dress. and. When she asked about the price, he said, well, how much did it cost? And she told him, and he was like, whoa, how could you do this? I mean, we just talked about not spending over the budget. He said, why didn't you just say, get thee behind me, Satan? And she said, I did. And Satan said, wow, it looks good from back here, too. So... Some of you may be struggling with temptation in your life of different kinds, and I'm not sure exactly what your struggle is today, but I believe that temptation is oftentimes like a trap. It's one of those things that lures us in, and once we are lured in, then it snaps on us, and it gets a grip on us, and it does damage to our life, but in the beginning it seems like a lure. You know, a couple years ago, I found some mouse droppings in my garage. And my wife has a fetish against mice. And so she was panicking whether these mice would get in the house. And so I went out and I bought some traps. My goal was do not let these mice get in the house. And so I put a trap out there. I, I put some cheese on it when they snap and the next day I went out there and the cheese was gone and the trap had not snapped it's like man these are like smart mice 
And so I had to figure out what was going to lure them in a little bit. And so someone told me, try peanut butter. And so I did put a little peanut butter on there. And I figured it'd be harder to get the peanut butter off. And, you know, lo and behold, I caught a couple of them. But I had to use the right lure. Little did they know when they smelled that peanut butter and that mouse started going over to that trap. Little did he know. He just thought he was getting lunch. Desire sets in, entices them, and when he's about to get it, then suddenly the trap snaps and it's the end of the mouse. Many of us have struggled like that with temptation in our life. And James in this passage is talking to us about how to understand how temptation works. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 13 of James chapter 1. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. I want to focus for a moment on this whole idea of temptation. I want you to understand how temptation works because I think a lot of us fall into temptation. Some of us are in a cycle of temptation. Some of you keep doing the same thing over and over and over, repenting, feeling sorry for it, but doing it over and over and over because you haven't quite understood the power of temptation, how it works, and how to break its cycle. So. I'm going to talk to you about the problem of temptation. I want you to understand the process of temptation. And I want you also to understand the protection against temptation. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Number one, understand the problem. You see, what James explains to us is that the problem is not on the outside. The problem actually is on the inside. The weakness inside not the circumstances on the outside is our greatest challenge he has just talked to the tribes that are scattered about about trials and so the first 12 verses of James chapter 1 are about trials when trials come to your life when your faith is tested when you're going through a difficult time it may be financial it may be physical it may be a marital crisis it may be a family crisis but something that tempts your faith and it seems to be that some people were blaming God for temptation they were saying well God is tempting me kind of luring me in to do evil and so James has to clarify, first of all, that, yeah, God allows trials into your life, but God is never the author of temptation. And so notice what he says in verse 13. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Sometimes people confuse tempting and testing. There are two concepts that are easy to confuse, but they're radically different. Testing is to prove or try a person's quality or character. You get the news that your job is closing down and everybody's moving to Texas. 
And then suddenly you start panicking over your finances and what's going to happen. And are you really going to trust God? And how's that going to work? And so that's testing. Your faith is being tested about the future. Can you trust God? Are you going to lose your joy? Are you going to get filled with anxiety? That's testing. Testing is different than tempting. Tempting or temptation is to persuade or entice someone to do something that is immoral or wrong. You understand the difference? One is testing your faith. The other is luring you to do something wrong. Um, a woman at work keeps sending you flirtatious signals and inviting you out to a couple of drinks after work and you know that there's something loaded behind there. You know this is not just a friendly uh, chit-chat, but she is enticing you and getting more and more overt about that enticement. And that is enticing you to be unfaithful in your marriage, and that is enticing you to do something that's wrong. That's temptation. One is testing, and one is temptation. And what James says, basically, is that God never, never, tries to entice you to do evil. So don't say, well, you know, I, you know, I was praying to really do well in my life and the Lord sent this girl with a really short miniskirt to tempt me. No, no, not God. May, may have been her choosing her wardrobe in the morning, but God is not tempting you to lust. God never tries to do that. God is not that way. It's like you uh, putting pot on your kitchen table for your 12-year-old to see if you can get him to smoke. No, no, God doesn't work that way. He's not trying to lure you into doing something wrong. God is never the person. So never blame God. Never say, well, God tempted me and I fell because God doesn't tempt us to do evil. And so James is trying to explain to the people that he's talking to, stop blaming it on God. Now the word for testing and the word for temptation are, are, very, are very similar in the Greek, but they have a different connotation. I believe that what was happening to the people that James was talking to is that they were failing their testing, giving into temptation, and then they were trying to blame it on someone. I've discovered with temptation that it's so easy to try to blame it on someone. Uh, sometimes we blame it on God. God was tempting me. Uh, sometimes we blame it on the devil. The devil was luring me. Or sometimes we blame it on our circumstances. If my circumstances hadn't been that way, I would not have fallen. So we blame God, the devil, circumstances, and others. And what James is saying is you're looking at the wrong place. If you're trying to blame God or the evil spirits in the world or your mother-in-law, you're looking at the wrong place because the real source of your temptation is not out there. The real source of your temptation is in here. It's in your heart. So if you want to guard against temptation, it's about guarding your heart. So this is what he says. He says, by the way, God cannot be tempted by evil. In other words, God cannot give in to evil. It tells us in Scripture that Jesus was tempted in every way just like we are. But because Jesus was born with a perfect nature, 
Jesus was not born with the sin nature like you and I were born with. Every human being, by the way, that has been born since Adam and Eve fell in the garden um, has been born, conceived with the sin nature. That means that from birth, you have the predisposition, the inclination to sin. No one has to teach you how to sin. You don't have to teach a baby how to be selfish. One of the first words they learn is mine. You could blame it on the parents right away, but let me tell you, it, it, it's built in the heart of a child. Every human being has a fallen nature. Ever since Adam and Eve fell, theologians call it the fall of man. Sin nature was birthed in us. The sin nature is passed down through the seed of man. Every child that's born has the predisposition to sin. When a child is old enough, that child will sin. We can't blame it on the environment. Environment accelerates sin. If there's a broken household, if there's a lot of chaos in the house, it accelerates sin. But no matter if you were raised in a great household or you were raised in a dysfunctional household, you will sin. You will fall because you have the sin nature. Jesus is called the second Adam because there are only two men in the history of humanity that did not have the sin nature. Adam, who was the first man that was created by God, was not created with the sin nature. He developed the sin nature when he sinned. But Adam did not have to sin. He didn't have the pull of sin. He was not a slave to sin. He was not built with the predisposition to sin. He made the choice to sin. Every human being that's been born after Adam, we have the predisposition. We are slaves to sin. Jesus is called the second Adam because when Jesus was born, he was not born through the seed of man, right? Have you ever asked yourself, why did Jesus have to be born of a virgin? Because it wasn't the seed of man that impregnated Mary. He bypassed the sin nature. The, the baby inside of her was conceived supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus was born, he was born without the sin nature because he was all God and became fully man. So he was the God man with no sin nature. Tempted like all of us. But when he had no sin nature, he was not given to fall into temptation. You're listening to Pastor Mark Job. A quick reminder that our website is packed with information that'll be useful to you. Everything from listening to this series again or ordering the companion Unstuck book from Moody Publishers. There's a link there for that. You can also check out the many ways you can pursue an education at the Moody Bible Institute, all at moodypresents.org. Again, moodypresents.org. Now, back to Pastor Mark Job. And what James is telling us here is that Although temptation can be hurled against God, God will never give in to temptation because he cannot be tempted to fall into evil because his very nature is good. And because he cannot be tempted, he neither tempts anyone to evil. God does not use evil to try to tempt you to fall. You need to understand that. God is blamed for a lot of things that he's not responsible for. The very nature of God cannot be tempted. In fact, the word in the Greek here, when it says God cannot be tempted by evil, the word is more like God is inexperienced with evil. He has no experience with evil. His nature has no practical experience with evil. And he does not use evil to tempt other people. So 
When we sin, when we fall into temptation, you can't blame God. The blame game has happened since the very beginning of humanity. Uh, scripture tells us with Adam and Eve were placed in this idyllic environment. And by the way, sometimes we believe that people are products of their environment and that if we just had a better world that no one would sin, but it's not that way. Sin is inside of us. In fact, uh, theologians that study this deeply would uh, speak to the total depravity of man. In other words, that we're not born good. We are born in the image of God, but we are born broken. We are born sinful human beings. Humanists would have you believe that we are born good and that we're products of our environment. And if we just have a ideal environment, that this would be a perfect utopia world. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches us that we are born broken. There's depravity inside of us. There's evil inside of us that's come through the sin nature. And it is only the power of Jesus and the power of the resurrection, the new birth that actually is able to cleanse the sin nature out of us. And that's why the Bible says that we must be what? Born again. It's when we're born again that we receive a new nature made in the image of God that gives us the power not to have to give in to sin, but now that we are able to respond to God. So James is explaining this, that God has no sin nature inside of us. And if you look into the Garden of Eden, you'll realize that when Adam and Eve sinned, that I want you to notice that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 12 through 13, it says, when, when Adam sinned and Eve sinned, that man said, the woman who you gave me to be with, she gave me from the tree and I ate. God said to Adam, Adam, why did you fall? You know what he said? The woman. <laughs> By the way, the woman you gave me. What was Adam doing? He was blaming another per person and he was ultimately saying, God, it's your fault because if you wouldn't have given her to me, I wouldn't have fallen. You gave me this woman. She messed me up. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of husbands I talked to today. <laughs> You're still using Adam's old phrase. It's the woman you gave me. So you see from the beginning that, that we were blaming someone else for our fall. God and the woman. You know, Proverbs 19.3 says, A man's own folly ruins his life, yet his heart rages against the Lord. In other words, we make our own mistakes, we fall, we blow it, yet oftentimes we point to God and say, God, why are you doing this to me? And so... James is saying to begin with that God is not the author of temptation. God isn't tempting you. God is not luring you to evil. If you fell, don't blame it on God. God doesn't want you to fall. God, God may test your faith, but he never lures you to do what is wrong. That's number one thing he wants us to understand. Number two, understand the process. You need to not only understand the root, but you need to understand the process of how temptation works in our life. So temptation has a full completion cycle, and when it's finished, it brings about spiritual death. So verse 14 says, It's not God who tempts us to do evil, but each of you is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed 
Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. In essence, what he's saying is that sin in our lives doesn't just pop up and we fall. No one just falls into sin. Sin grows, and if we allow it to grow, it becomes stronger and stronger and stronger in our life until it overpowers us, and then it begins to control us, and ultimately it leads to spiritual death. When someone says, well, I don't see how they happen, they must have just fallen all the way. No, no, it, you never fall all the way. Just like someone doesn't just have a baby. Suddenly. It's like, I just saw her last week, and I wish she gave birth to a baby. Wow, that was fast. No, 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 it wasn't fast. It took nine months. There was a conception. There was an identification of pregnancy. There's a gestational period. It starts to grow. And you say, well, I never saw it. Yeah, you didn't see what was happening, but that pregnancy has been happening for a while. You couldn't see that she was pregnant because it wasn't noticeable. But it doesn't just happen, it evolves, it grows, and when it comes to a critical point, then there's a birth that happens. And so what James is explaining is that sin is the same way. Someone doesn't just become a drug addict overnight. Someone doesn't just have an affair overnight. You don't become an alcoholic overnight. You don't become a bitter, angry person overnight. Uh, you don't become a critical ne negative person overnight. This is a process of development where something starts as a seed and it begins to grow and grow and grow and it goes from one stage to the next until it overwhelms our life. And so that's exactly what James is saying. He's explaining the process. He says this is the temptation uh, progression. If you notice in the scripture, he says, well, first of all, it starts with desire. Now let me, let me say something about desire. Desire is not bad. We all have legitimate desires but that we try to fulfill in illegitimate ways. Are you tracking with me? You say, well, I just want to be happy. Great. That's not a bad desire, the desire for happiness. But if your happiness means that you're going to bail out on your marriage and shack up with that girl that's 15 years younger than you because you're pursuing happiness, then there's a problem with your pursuit of happiness. Are you tracking with me? Is the desire to be happy wrong? No, it's not the desire. It's the way you choose to fulfill that desire that makes it wrong. We all have legitimate needs that we try to fulfill in illegitimate ways. You know how many conversations I've had with people sitting down at the table with and they say, well, I don't understand how this could be wrong. After all, doesn't God want me to be happy? And if this makes me happy, then I can't see why it's not God's will for my life. Do you know how many conversations I've had with people that start with the fact that if this makes me happy, then God probably approves of it? I remember talking to a 20-year-old girl that was having an affair with a married man. I said, how in the world can you justify having an affair with a married guy? His wife doesn't know you're involved in that. I mean, how can you live with that? Well, 
I know that it sounds unusual and you probably won't understand. Test me, try me, come on. Well, you know, I was not very happy before. I was feeling lonely and this really makes me happy. And so I prayed, oh Lord, bring a man into my life. I wasn't really looking for him. It just kind of happened and we just really connected. And his wife, boy, she's an ogre. She is, uh, he tells me about her. I mean, she's really, and so we just really connected and it makes me happy. So if it makes me happy, isn't it God's will for me to be happy? And the Bible says every good gift is from, a, from above. And so if this makes me happy, it must be God's will. No, no, it doesn't work that way. By the way, first of all, that the Bible never says that his goal is to make you happy. God's goal for your life is not to make you happy. Happiness is a byproduct, not the end goal. Sometimes following God, it makes you sad in the beginning because it's difficult, but it's hard. Happiness and joy is a byproduct of living for something that's greater than yourself. As you pursue God, ultimately, you will be the most joyful person on earth. But it doesn't always, it's not always easy. And so you cannot back your way into morality. You have to start with what God says, not with what you think makes you happy. Starting with what God says, rather than what you think makes you happy. That's a first step out of the temptation trap. I'm John Geiger, and next time we're going to dig deeper into the book of James as Pastor Mark Job returns with part two of the temptation trap. I hope you'll be around. Moody Presents is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.